the world we know is changing. I'm Moira Gunn, and welcome to Biotech Nation. Despite all the strides in medicine and medical technology, health challenges relating to the brain in both diagnostics and treatment remain in their infancy. Ask anyone who suffers from a condition like severe tinnitus, which is just one example. While we have become somewhat used to the idea of brain implants, flexible, stretchable, almost fabric-like implants are at the forefront of innovation. Today, I speak with Nicholas Vachikoris, co-founder and CEO of Neurosoft Bioelectronics in Geneva, Switzerland. Nick, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. Now, the first thing I need listeners to understand, and which I learned from talking to you earlier, is a particular picture of our brains. You said to me when we spoke, the brain is in constant micro-motion. Well, I was shocked. <laughs> Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, we don't typically think of this, but the brain is always moving a little bit. That's what we call micromotion. So there's three reasons. The first one is you have blood flow. So blood is coming in and out of your brain. So this creates movement. You also have cerebrospinal fluid. It's a fluid that is uh, around your brain and it gets renewed uh, all the time. And so this also causes uh, little mo motion. And finally, breathing. I mean, as you're breathing, it's going to move your entire body uh, and also your brain. So this is the combination of these different flows of you know air and um, and just liquids uh, will cause this micromotion. So we have to imagine this brain moving little by little uh, all the time. Now, also important to this is that uh, the brain is a, is a big electrical web, if you will. It's a whole electrical being, uh, just like our hearts are. Our hearts are beating. And, you know, we, we have like electrocardiograms to check out what's the electrical activity in our brains and with pacemakers and such, they're trying, okay, this is all about pulses. There is electrical activity throughout our brains. Exactly. So, I mean, everything in your body is electricity, uh, your muscles, your heart, and, and in particular the brain. And so what's interesting is that a recording from the heart is a lot easier. Like in general, muscles generate big movements and you have much larger activity. And in the brain, it's actually much smaller. It's uh, about 1,000 times smaller signals. So recording precisely re from the brain requires a lot more, you know, uh, the dedicated devices and more precise approaches than for the heart to really get good signal quality. And you have to go through the skull. Exactly. So the best way is really to go on the surface of the brain. Now, Neurosoft Bioelectronics is working on an extremely thin soft, stretchable material with many embedded electrodes, which can both sense and stimulate when it's laid on the brain. Now, we'll talk about how that happens uh, shortly, but do I have that right? And, and what does it do? That's exactly, exactly right. So devices to record from the brain have already existed for many years. What is very unique with our approach is that we're using materials that are much softer. So think not only soft, but also elastic so that you can actually stretch them. And so for us, this is critical to have a much better interface with the brain, but also to accommodate this macro motion we just described before, having something that has a bit of flexibility and softness is critical. 
And the other aspect of these soft materials is you have to imagine that cells, the neurons, are very sensitive to their mechanical environment. And so having devices that are softer or that their mechanical properties are closer to these tissues that you typically have uh, uh, on your brain or around your brain is very important for long-term biointegration to avoid, if you may, foreign body reaction and rejection of the device. So the idea is to lay this material onto a brain. Uh, do I have that right? And, and what exactly are you doing with this material? Yes, it's exactly correct. So these devices really go at the surface of the brain. And so the whole goal of these devices is to either record the activity of the brain or to send light electrical pulses. So if you want to compare this to the heart, it's the same thing as recording an EKG. But also as a pacemaker, it can make your heart beat. The idea is that you can activate different parts of the brain by electrical stimulation. And so this is exactly what we can do with our devices. Now, it's quite a leap to move into humans, and you've done an extensive amount of work on many, many different animals, uh, different kinds of animals, and we'll, we can, that'll be a subject for another day. But you've actually now made it into human brains uh, in the first stage of testing. Now, tell us, you know, you're right at the beginning stages. You know, where are you starting? What are you doing now? That's a very good question. So, uh, this summer, we were able to test our devices in the first humans. Uh, and so this took about four years and a half of a lot of work to, to get to the point where our devices are safe uh, and you know made reliably to, to, to perform this. And so what we did is we asked patients who are undergoing brain surgery, regardless of us. And typically, this is for two causes, either because they have epileptic seizures and we have to surgically resect the part of the brain that causes... This is epilepsy here you're talking about, Ep epileptic seizures, yeah? yes? Uh, or? Or, yeah, so it's for epilepsy or it's for brain tumors. So people who have to get surgery for a brain tumor. So we already have this nice setting where the brain is exposed, so we're not adding any additional risk to these patients. And then we ask them if we can test our device during surgery for 15 minutes. And so that's exactly what we did. And what are you doing during those 15 minutes? So we did two things typically. The first one is we can record just normal baseline activity. So we just put it there and the, the brain, even if you're under anesthesia, is still active. You can still see signals. And in particular for patients with epilepsy, you can also see some particular signals for that uh, are typical of people with epilepsy. So that's the first thing we did, just normal baseline. And then the other thing that we did is um, in more interesting experiment where we, in the cases where we had access to a part of the brain that processes speech, so hearing, which is called the auditory cortex, we laid our electrode on that region of the brain and uh, we had on a speaker in the surgery room uh, sentences being spoken out. And we recorded the activity of the brain in response to this speech that was processed. And so we can kind of he, uh, read or uh, electrically what the patient is hearing. So you did the same recording for each of the four patients. So the second part, it was only if we had access to that part of the brain that processes speech. Uh, and then usually the baseline was done in all patients, yes. So we did it on two patients out of the four, this full experiment. If you play the same recording to multiple people, Will it show the same brain activity? 
It's a good question. Uh, not exactly. I mean, everyone processes information slightly differently. The anatomy might be different. But the general idea is, yes, I mean, at the end of the day, we all hear the same things. But from a neuroscience perspective, you know, it's, you're always going to see differences across humans. And that's completely normal. I mean, everyone has a different brain. So over time, if you have enough brains, you may see a real pattern here. But it's going to take a number of experiments. Exactly. And, and it's very hard to interpret. And this is where, you know, AI and machine learning can help you uh, process this data over multiple number of patients. Okay. So you've laid the material in. How big is the material you're laying in? So it's about one inch by one inch. So it's a small piece of material that you're laying in and yes. laying right on the brain. And it starts recording the electrical activity. So now we're at the, the first part of, the, of this experiment. What what can you learn from that? So it always depends on the context, but in the particular context of uh, epilepsy, from a clinical perspective, it's very interesting to know if the brain that you're recording, the part of the brain you're recording from is still the, causing seizures or not. Because the whole goal of the surgery is really to remove the parts of the brain that causes seizures. And so by recording the activity, you can know, okay, are you having a healthy or non-healthy tissue? And that can really help the neurosurgeon guide the surgery. The whole goal of the surgery is you want to remove enough brain tissue that the patient is treated and does not have seizures anymore, but you don't want to remove too much that is, becomes unnecessary. Now, in one-inch by one-inch fabric, how many electrodes do you have? So in this particular device, we had 30 electrodes. But you're working on, on this all the time. I'm sure you're getting denser materials as we speak. Yes, so we're working on a next iteration, and the goal is to put them slightly closer together and also to increase the number of electrodes to 64. And then after 64, there'll be 128. That's how these numbers usually go. <laughs> hey, you're exactly right. Anybody in computer says, exactly. Yeah, that's it. That's how, I know it sounds crazy, but that's the way it works. Um, is there any effort as well to change the material or, or how it's being used? So the material itself, we're not planning on changing it. It works quite well, and this is really the core of our expertise. However, what we can change and we will change is really the design of it, like how it's cut, if you may, like its actual shape. And we can really make things to improve it, to make it easier to handle, easier to manipulate during surgery. So these are the type of changes, but not on the material itself. Well, I've never seen a human brain. I've read about it on the internet, <laughs> as they say. Um, it's not like a flat surface. I mean, it, it kind of goes in and out and up and down. Uh, are you laying this just on the top, across the top of the brain, or are you able to get down into these crevices? It's an excellent question, and the, one of the big points of trying to use softer and more flexible materials is to exactly being able to conform better to these valleys, uh, as you mentioned. So in the first trials, we've just laid it on top, but even at the surface of the brain, you have kind of these uh, small valleys and bumps, and so having a softer device conforms better. But one of the things we want to try in the future is try to go deeper into these uh, valleys. And that's going to be very interesting. And it's very unique with our approach and our materials. While you are a Swiss company, you did this in Texas. Uh, and uh, I have to say, gee, was the FDA involved? I mean, what does the FDA think about a 
a a a new kind of device like this what 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 happened there so we ha- so in this particular case we had to deal with the IRB which is the institutional review board or we sometimes call it ethics committee and so they they are the ones we had to deal with to convince them that our device is safe enough to try it with the FDA we are indeed in discussions and it's more for market approval to get into the US market and this is something that we're working on with them so you'll have to actually go through a lot more to get it approved in the US but that's down the road you've just gotten into humans now exactly so i mean it's down the road but we are expecting to submit to the FDA if you may uh, next summer you also will be treating if you will you're going to send out pulses like a pacemaker sends a pulses repeatedly to a heart um now tell us you know what the future is here where what are you looking to do It's a good question so there's a lot of potential to do different things by activating the brain because at the end of the day the brain controls everything and one of the particular clinical indications we're interested in is what we call severe tinnitus so tinnitus is this ringing in the ear that you've probably all experienced you know at one point in your life typically uh, after a loud concert you would have this buzzing sound in your ears and so for some patients this is really a big problem because it never stops and it's extremely loud so some patients will even say that it sounds like a jet airplane in the ears 24 hours a day 7 days a week and so it's a really big issue that typically arises after exposure to loud noise so veterans typically have a lot of tinnitus and so what's interesting is people have realized in the past years that even though it starts in the ears it causes changes within your brain and so the way you can think about it is that you have some brain regions that are hyperactive so they are way more active than what they're supposed to and that kind of causes this perception of the sound that these patients have and so our goal with these pulses is to try to desynchronize these regions to try to reduce this activity and to at the end of the good day is to the goal is to reduce or even completely suppress the sound that is heard by this by these patients and so one of the other things we're considering are for example people who are deaf so in this case the idea is that you can stimulate uh, the part of the brain that typically processes uh, sound uh, so which is called the auditory cortex and to provide sensation of speech or of hearing by electrically stimulating these regions so that's something else we're excited about. So once you get this proven then the applications just open up wildly. Exactly. So once we have the technology that works in terms of recording and stimulating long term then of obviously we can do a lot more than just tinnitus or deafness. Well Nick uh so glad you came to see us. Uh, please keep us updated, won't you? Yes, definitely happy to tell you how we progress over the upcoming months and years. Nicholas Vachikoris is the co-founder and CEO of Neurosoft Bioelectronics in Geneva, Switzerland. Listen to more biotech podcasts at biotechnation.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. Biotech Nation is a regular feature of the weekly public radio program Tech Nation. Listen to the full show via podcast or on your local public radio station. For Biotech Nation, I'm Moira Gunn.